Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Mock Track Mondays. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and I've got the trusty producer, Dave, running the sidekick here tonight. I am back from vacation, which really wasn't a vacation, but we're going to call it that anyways. We are going to talk combine. We are going to do a mock draft, and we're going to get you primed and ready for one of the most unique events on the sports calendar. Stick around. We're going to have some fun tonight. Welcome to Climbing the Pockets Mock Draft Mondays. Who will the Vikings pick, and who's your favorite choice? You are looking live at these beautiful faces from Climbing the Pocket in the Daily Norseman. I am Tyler Fornis, and with me is the trusty producer, Dave. Dave, my man, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm looking forward to the NFL Combine this week and uh, everything that goes on with it, especially everybody getting together afterwards to talk not negotiate deals, wink, wink, but uh, to talk some of that stuff that happens in the bars afterwards when we hear about players moving. This should be the time that the quarterback carousel gets nice and lubed up and starts, you know, it's been practicing moving and stuff should hit right afterwards. But it's good to see the guys, you know, who's competing well, who's upping their stock, who's not. Uh, there was one guy at corner, one of the top corners, they supposedly measured his arms and it was like 29 inches. And it's like, all right, so he's like a T-Rex. How can you be a T-Rex and play corner? I have no idea. Well, But finding out stuff like that's that, fun. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And we're going to talk about McCreary later. He doesn't play like he has small length, but he has small length. And trying to discern and decipher and parse that out is a really interesting conundrum. And that's what these teams are trying to do here at the Combine. They're trying to understand, hey, this guy doesn't have this. Well, what do the measurements show? Will he ever be able to gain this? Or is it something that he's going to have to deal with his entire career? And that's what really makes this week a lot of fun. And there are so many different elements to how this can be or won't be a success in the National Football League. And Dave, I, I think we should start there. Um, I wrote two articles for NBC Sports Edge mm-hmm. um, over the past week uh, detailing um, different players from each position group on offense and defense talking about, hey, th- who has the, the most to lose in gain at the NFL Combine? And I'll kind of let you ship and pick out the guys because I know you've got the list right in front of you. And we'll, we'll kind of break it down, uh, just kind of starting quarterback, go all the way through defensive back, and just try to help everybody, everybody understand, understand. Who, who are, yeah, who can be the big winners and losers uh, based on their performances. Well, first, I wanted everybody to know the schedule, because not everybody is in there today, tomorrow, Wednesday, stuff like that. And they do different things on different days. Here's your schedule. I'm sorry it cuts off part of our face. Um, Hey, Nick, how are you? Um, Today was the day for tight ends, QBs, and wide receivers to report. It's registration, pre-exam, orientation, and starting the interviews. The interview process is a biggie. Then we go on to... um, 
O-line and running backs, followed by D-lines and linebackers, and then we end up with DBs, uh, uh, place kickers, and special teams after that. That's your schedule. And you can see how it's spread out over each of those days. Who's doing what and doing, you know, all those things together. And we end up finishing um, on Sunday, and then everybody leaves next Monday if they haven't left already. So um, that is that. Now, to start off, let's start with quarterbacks. I think we have a few here. There was two that you talked about having the ability to move up depending on where how they well they did this week in Indy. And let's start with the obvious. Malik Willis, who had a fantastic game down at the Senior Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. You think he could even up his stock more this week. Why? Easy. When people see him live, it's just a different experience. Uh, He was one of the players I was most excited to see in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. And the traits just pop off. I wrote an article for the Vikings where I was talking about why he could be the next Josh Allen. And the parallels are incredibly similar. Offenses that don't support him. Not playing with NFL talent. Really having to play hero ball because the offensive line isn't protecting you. Uh, Just rocket arms struggling within structure, struggling with accuracy and placement, but the raw arm talent is just insane and a massive anomaly. Like all these things are are really, really comparable with Allen and Willis. Plus they also have a dynamic ability to run the football. Yeah, but when people, when we were looking at people drafting Josh Allen, everybody was leery. They knew he could throw the football a mile. They knew he could throw it through a barn. Right, but they worried that you know he way missed at you know in Boise, and they were wondering how in the world can this guy translate? Because normally, college quarterbacks' accuracy translates to what they are in the pros. There isn't yeah. that much of a gaining of skills. Do you think one Malik Willis can gain those skills, and two, do you think we now have a coaching staff? that could foster that? Yes, and yes. I And I think Mobile really showed that element for him because one of the things that he struggled mostly with was thriving within structure, thriving within the pocket, utilizing the play to its its uh, its a best ability, okay. Ru- running an offense, running, like, utilizing reads and progressions. All the basic stuff, what we talk about with quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Malik Willis doesn't do a lot of that very well. A lot of that has to do with the offense. Some of that has to do with the fact that hit the talent around him is bad. There's not one draftable player that is playing with him currently right now. That's really bad. And that's why he's having to do a lot of hero ball. Run around. Make things happen. Run the football. Try and force things. All those things kind of combine together. Then he goes down to the senior bowl, which is all structure. You're going to run this drill, and then you're going to run this drill. Then you're going to run this drill. You're going to make these types of throws. You're going to make these types of decisions. You're going to run a basic offense, and he was the best quarterback there, and it really wasn't that close. 
he thrived within that kind of structure. And it gives me hope that he's going to be able to thrive at the next level, utilizing the same concepts. And I think the perfect coaching staff in order to bring him along and develop him is the New York football giants. I don't think that there is a better coaching staff out there that will be able to kind of nurture him. That doesn't already have that quarterback. Yes. Brian Dayball is the one that laid the groundwork for Josh Allen. He and Brandon Bean built Josh Allen. And because he's there and the assistant GM of Brandon Bean, uh, Joe Shane is now the GM of the New York Giants. Uh, do you think they already have take the groundwork? Willis that high? I really don't know, but I'll tell you when you watch him throw the football and it's a bazooka, it's a piss missile. Any adjective you can think of that'll describe just an absolute rocket arm, use it to describe Malik Willis. He threw the ball faster by over 10 miles an hour than any quarterback in senior bowl history. The record holder before him, Josh Allen. So just another one of those kind of comparables. Malik Willis has insane gifts. And you know what? If he never truly figures out how to throw the football like you'd like him to do, like even come close to what Josh Allen has done. He's a dynamic runner. He already has like confirmed like 40 yard dash times of under 4.4 seconds. He is a very powerful and thick runner in his lower half. He's going to be able to bounce off tacklers and he's going to be able to outrun them too. When you look at all those things, he's a guy you want to take a shot on. He's going to throw at the combine. And when he starts throwing ropes and darts and running under a 4-4 in the comp at the 40-yard dash, mm-hmm. somebody's going to take him in the top 10. And as Vikings fans, he is the exact kind of quarterback that we've been clamoring for. Insane arm talent, ability to make dynamite plays, <clears throat> succeed outside of structure, uh-huh. take chances. Look, you don't want to be reckless. But just look at what Brett Favre did for us in 2009. He took yeah. chances and he took risks, and a lot of them paid off. Did it bite us in the end? Yeah. But that's – you're never going to get to that point unless you have Brett Favre willing to have the guts to make those big boy throws. And that's what Malik Willis is going to bring to you. He's going to have the guts to make those big boy throws. And it's a very, 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 very exciting proposition. Now, let's look at the other side, Dave. Why it could go bad. He's never really thrived inside of structure. He struggles in the pocket. He does not make reads and progressions very well outside of RPOs. He's got a long learning curve, but the he, you can lean on the athleticism. Just look at what Lamar Jackson was his first right. year in Baltimore. He struggled as a passer, but, which is weird. Hey, Josh Allen I thought he was the. Yep, his first I thought Lamar Jackson in that 2018 class was the most pro-ready passer year one because of what he had to do in Louisville. But he ran a lot of spread, a lot of read options and stuff. But the passing concepts were all pro style because it was a Bobby Petrino offense. They modified it to hell for Lamar Jackson because of his physical gifts. You can do that. Does Kirk Cousins' situation, whether he's on the team or off the team, affect the Vikings? Say they chose to select... Malik Willis at 12, like came out in one of PFF's mock drafts today, um, Mm -hmm. today or yesterday. Does that affect whether they draft him at 12 or not? 
Would they draft him and sit behind Kurt? Kirk? Or if, if they got the rid of Kirk, do they uh, um, start him? This is a very layered conversation, Dave, and I want to point this out <laughs> with what Drew said. If Malik often leaves the pocket too early. Well, uh, Drew, you're right, but you also have to look at the context of why he leaves the pocket too early. His offensive line is trash. His weapons are bad. He's playing with no draftable players, so he feels like he has to play hero ball. But when you have that ingrained in your brain, you're going to leave the pocket way too early, and that's something he has to overcome at the next level. But you give him NFL average weapons and offensive line, and I think you're going to see quite a jump because it's going to be so much different from what he played with in college. And now to kind of wrap around to your point, Dave, I don't think the Vikings will have Kirk Cousins on the team at a $45 million cap. It's either going to be extension or he's gone. I don't think we're going to have a situation, especially with Quasi being like analytically minded. It's the wrong approach, uh, wrong financially, but you understand where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. He is for value. Yes. He is looking to gain a competitive edge. However, way you can and something I I don't know who to give credit to uh, for this too, but I think it was Eric Eager, who is one of the smartest people in the in the industry. He talked about, well, if you're going to bet on a Kevin O'Connell being able to elevate Kirk Cousins to a point that better coaches haven't been able to get out of him. Just look at uh, how little Sean McVay did with him. Mm-hmm. Well, what about Kyle Shanahan? Jay Gruden. You look at those. Yeah. yeah. There are really good offensive minds who couldn't get this guy truly elevated. So Kevin O'Connell is supposed to be this guy. Oh, he's going to be elevated. He's going to do all these things. Well, if Kevin O'Connell is really a guy that can elevate quarterback play, why are you trying to elevate a guy who is going to make $45 million? Wouldn't it be smarter to take a chance with, I don't know, a Jameis Winston at 15? Maybe Case Keenum? Teddy Bridgewater? Hey, if if you're a true elevator, why are you trying to elevate a guy that's $45 million? I think Quasey's too smart for that, and I don't think that – Unless they're 100% sold, Kirk Cousins is the answer. He's the guy. He's not playing at $45 million. There's zero chance that that's happening. Well, at least Malik. And I don't think they're. At least Willis plays hero ball. Cousins rarely, if ever, plays hero type hero ball where he's forcing something to make it happen. Don't see it. Mm -hmm. He, he, He checks down. He. He eats the ball and takes the sack. It's that, that's why I brought up the question. The next quarterback in your, uh, we're only going with two people per position. Next quarterback you wanted to talk about, who I've heard is going to be lucky to go in the second round, is Matt Corral. Yep. So here's the weird thing about Matt Corral he's going to go anywhere from like <laughs> early day three to top 10. He's got a very, very, very wide range. There's a lot to love with Matt Corral. If you haven't read the article from Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports yet about Matt Corral and his battles with depression and how he's grown as a human being and how he's translated that to the football field, I highly recommend you go read that piece. You're going to come out of it with a perception of Matt Corral that's going to be completely different than what you had before. What's really nice about that piece, Dave, is Ed Holm, who is one of the best sports writers you'll ever read. 
he goes at it without a narrative. And he just lets Corral tell the story, doesn't try to force his own opinion. He just, he lets the story tell itself. And it's so beautiful when you can get a writer that is willing and able to so eloquently tell somebody's story, especially when dealing with a difficult topic like depression. That's really important. Corral has all the arm talent. But what's really difficult to parse out with Corral, the offense that he ran was very RPO-centric. A lot of half-field reads. You're not going from left all the way to the right trying to find your guy. You're, hey, you've got two guys on the left. If you don't see them, bail, run. Then that he's really good at that. Yeah, he had a couple of games where he had 20-plus carries, including a 30-carry game where he gutted out a win against Tennessee where the fans infamously threw bottles of mustard onto the field before the end of the game, which is one of the most hilarious things of all time. The problem is, is that the offense that Jeff Levy wanted to run or were they doing it because they knew Corral had limitations? That's the tough part to parse out because so many of these college offenses – they just do all these simple reads. Hey, here's the safety, so we're going to do this because of this look. They're not doing a lot of complex stuff because they don't have to. They have the athletes that can just win in space, and it doesn't matter. And that's where the college game is trending right now. Sam Howell is going to be a guy that you'll talk about and hear about a lot, and he is dealing with some of that stuff too. Like The offense is just abysmal for NFL projection. Matt Corral is the same way. The only offense that really gives me kind of baseline for what the guy can be in the National Football League as far as a true traditional like pro-style passer with NFL concepts, Carson Strong in Nevada runs a modified air raid, which you see a lot of those concepts in the NFL now, and Kenny Pickett running a true pro-style offense. But these other guys, you're just not going to see it. And understanding Corral is trying to figure that part out. And that's the difficult part. You have to be able to talk to him. You have to be able to talk to coaches. I gave Macrell a low second round grade because I think the talent is there and you can unlock him. But there's a lot of questions. Um, to Kit Fisto, didn't he suffer a late season injury too? Yes. He wanted to play in the Sugar Bowl for his teammates. And we talk a lot about, hey, should this guy opt out? Is he going to opt out? Is he going to play in the bowl game? Does it mean anything to the player? Well, to him, it meant something. Because the team meant everything to him. So he was going to do everything he could for the team. Very honorable that, you know, it's great character stuff. But when it comes to your financial future, it may have cost him because now he's not going to throw up the combine. He's going to wait till the pro day. He's still healing from that high ankle sprain. And that was two months ago. That was New Year's Day. So there's, you can argue either way, but right now it's looking to be a massive detriment to him that he went and played that game, which is really unfortunate we're not going to know more about Macaral until his pro day. Yeah, and but it's, the the wanting to play shows a mentality thing that at least some football teams take into effect and go, we like that mentality, that he wants to stick it out. He's not going to be the one that, ooh, I got a boo-boo, I got to you know, sit down this play. Uh-uh, he's going to be the one fighting to get in and make plays. There's a lot of football mm-hmm. teams that absolutely love that. And, uh, yes, absolutely. absolutely. And that mentality is fantastic. But, you know, we're not talking necessarily about the, that mentality as far as on the football field right now. We're talking about how the fact that because he's not going to be able to participate in the combine. It may cost him a few a million detriment. dollars. Yeah. Yes. And that's why players opt out because of those situations. 
if he's playing in the playoff, it's a different story. You're playing for a national title versus you're playing in the Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl still has prestige, but it's just not the same. And that's why these conversations come up. Uh, Corral won the senior bowl from the quarterbacks outside of Malik Willis because he wasn't there. He wasn't eligible because he hadn't graduated yet. As a redshirt junior, he he wasn't quite there credit wise in order to fully in order to get that diploma. Now, when you talk about the other quarterbacks, they were very up and down. Matt Corral won just by not being up and down. So he's got a lot to prove, and he still has a ways to go. He's going to be at the combine. He's going to be interviewing. He's going to be doing his measurables. He's just not going to do the athletic testing or throwing. So there's still a lot that we're going to be able to learn, especially through back channels and people reporting stuff about Matt Corral. Um, Those two are, like, we spent a lot of time talking about those two, but they're also fascinating um, individuals to talk about. Um, Brian, throwing at the combine is overrated, but – it also shows a lot of different things. It shows, it shows, can you make these throws? Can you get them in a general area? Because obviously Dave and I have never played catch. Okay. Right. So if I'm the quarterback and Dave's running routes, I don't know his cadence. I don't know his rhythm. I don't know where he's going to make his You don't know how I breaks. cut, come out of breaks. Yep. Yep. The whole works. Yep. So in that, in that sense, Brian, you're a hundred percent right. You can still learn and gather a lot by watching these guys throw. Watch their motion. Watch how they handle themselves. Watch how they deal with a frustrating throw. Watch how they deal with drops. Watch their mechanics. There's still a lot you can learn from throwing at the combine, um, especially because it's such a unique situation. Um, Drew, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna mention this about Corral, and then we're gonna stop talking about quarterbacks because we have positions to get to tonight. Yes, he was a turnover machine, but something to know about that turnover machine he was in two football games LSU and Arkansas through a total of 11 interceptions inexcusable but when you look at what he was able to do this year versus last year he was making smarter more succinct decisions making them quicker more confidence and because he was doing all that the turnovers were cut down he grew and I think you can count that up as an anomaly because he grew and developed and it wasn't where, hey, he had a rough year his freshman year, sophomore year was really good, and then he turned it over a ton. That's kind of what you saw with Jameis Winston. He was a turnover machine his second year, and that never really calmed down because it showed regression, not development. And I think because we saw that with Corral, I think those days of five, six interceptions and like just being a turnover machine mm-hmm. are behind him. Interesting. Uh, Joseph, that's some interesting intel. If it turns out to be true, I would be uh, absolutely fascinated. I'm oh, skip, I love it. I'm going to skip running backs real quick, and let's talk with wide receivers. Because we're going to first go over all the res- all the positions the Vikings may draft. And I don't see yep. the Vikings drafting a running back, or any of the ones you're talking about, you know, in the upper rounds. Yeah, that's I a good point. I just don't see it. You yep. have here wide receiver Traylon Burks. What's special okay, about so, Traylon? Dave, do you like Debo Samuel? Yeah, he's a good. Do you think he's a really big difference maker in uh, the amount of tools he has in his toolbox? Of course he is. Traylon Burks is a very similar player that way. They are not identical, and I don't want people to get that confused. But what Burks brings to the table is a variety of different ways to win, variety of different ways 
to thrive in space, win at the catch point. You can play him out of the backfield. Uh, you you can do all kinds of things with him. He can win in the return game. And at the end of the day, he's 6'3", 225, and he's going to run about a 4'4", There's a chance he breaks 4'4". The guy's phenomenal at the catch point, knows how to high point the football, can be physical with corners in trying to get the football and pluck it out of the air. And Burks, dynamite in the open field. He had, in his career, 11 rushes for about 112 yards and a touchdown, including a 49-yard touchdown on a jet sweeper. He just blew through everybody in that Texas secondary. This is a player that, if he is on the board at 12, I would consider sitting and pounding the table for because Burks would be a fantastic complement to what Justin Jefferson brings. Burks is going to play the X. He is going to be your big-bodied guy, your physical guy. I'm going to go up and get this. And then you can be able to use him in a lot of different versatile ways. Like, just look at what Kevin O'Connell did with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Both very versatile players do a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of different route combinations, running them together, running them on the opposite sides. You have Jefferson in the Cooper Cup uh, role where he's doing a lot of those kind of choice routes. But Traylon Burks in the Robert Woods role where Woods is doing a lot more of those jet sweeps. He's doing a lot of blocking. He is, he's running a lot lot more like deeper routes instead of like your quick hitters, which Cooper Cup does a lot of good deep stuff, but he is elite at the quick stuff, just being able to explode out of breaks and get separation that way. Burks is going to be your dynamite home run hitter. And because of how their skill sets blend together, I think he'd be perfect opposite Justin Jefferson. Is it the biggest need? Oh, hell no, it's not. But if you look at the success of the playoff teams that made it to the final four, What's the common theme? They all have a myriad of weapons. The Vikings need to really fortify their weapons base. With Thielen out, you're trusting KJ Asborn to be wide receiver too. Good player. Very valuable to have on your roster. Is not that kind of player at this point in his career. Mir Smith Marset shows flashes, but you can't count on him to be anything. Um, I would pound the table for Traylon Burks because I just think he can be that difference maker at the next level. Interesting, interesting, interesting. The other wide receiver you had on there is one I did not, was not aware of. Mm -hmm. Calvin Austin from Memphis. Okay, Calvin Austin uh, really, really, really impressed me at the Senior Bowl. I thought he was going to be a gadget guy. He's not Mm -hmm. big. He's like 5'7 and a half, 175 pounds. But Tutu Atwell at 5'5, 155. Got drafted at 56 overall by the Rams, who everybody laughed at him. And I laughed at it too, because I thought it was a terrible pick. Um, but they won the Super Bowl. So what do I know, right? Um, Austin got a lot of his touches manufactured jet sweeps, screens, low crossers. And then they threw the ball to him deep. Didn't really show a huge route tree. He went to Mobile and dominated in one on ones. He was showing a complex release package. He was winning at the top of the stem in various ways. He was blowing by people. He was doing everything that he needed to do to show he was a true receiver. And what was really impressive was his catch radius was spectacular for somebody his size. He was reaching out and grabbing the ball every which way. I was very impressed by Austin, and I thought he was a top three player at the Senior Bowl. He's going to run the four threes. And with his receiver skill set, you put him in the slot, you can uh, run him at the Z, which is uh, what Tyreek Hill plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
you run a lot of like your overs. Um, you're not doing a lot of like jump ball stuff, but you're getting this guy in space and you're letting him make plays. And I think that's what Calvin Austin can bring to a football team with a dynamite athletic testing set of numbers. Calvin Austin's probably going to go top 50 and maybe even higher. This guy is a very, very good football player. The size will keep him out of the first round. But if he was four inches taller with this skill set, he'd go first round easily. Interesting. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> tight ends. Something that we may be looking at. I didn't get everybody, but I did get um, Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. Kohler's an interesting one because that one of the comps, like I, I've got a lot of buddies in the scouting world, and one of them likes to make fun comps. Like not just copying them to football players, but copying them to animals, inanimate objects. He comped him to a this guy comped him to a two by four, a plank, because he just runs so upright and is stiff as a board. And Kolar was very productive. Brock Purdy was not a great quarterback. They had Brees Hall uh, behind the quarterback, a running back, uh, who was um, uh, who was dynamite. He was one of the guys that I also wrote about. Drew, you're 100% right. Dave rules. Um, <laughs> Thanks, guys. And Kolar, when he in Mobile, really surprised me because he was much more limber, much more fluid, athletic than I thought he looked on tape. And if he tests well, at the combine, I think that's going to go really far with his production profile to really make make a statement that he can be one of the top three or four tight ends in this class. Interesting. Your other tight end was uh, Jeremy Ruckert. Ruckert. Drew, uh, Drew is going to love Jeremy Ruckert because from his favorite team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So Ruckert is an interesting case study because – if you remember in last year's college football playoff, Ruckert was dominant. He's, he put up like three touchdowns, 200 yards, and he got a lot of run. Well, this year, Ohio State literally had the best receiving core in the history of college football. I couldn't tell you a better receiving core than that. They were phenomenal. But their third receiver in the Rose Bowl caught like 330 yards on like 15 catches. Like, their third guy. Um, yeah, I was waiting for that, Drew. Thank, thank you for a good chuckle. Uh, but so in order to understand that, you, like how much of that has to do with the fact that they just have a loaded receiver room or is Rucker just not that good? And they, he, they just capitalized with him. Well, he went down to Mobile and um, Thor Nystrom from NBC mm-hmm. Sports Edge and I were just watching practice together. And we were just blown away at how soft his hands were. He was gaining separations with his route running. He was doing all the little things that were like, hey, this guy's an actual player. And before he hurt his uh, foot and had to bow out from day three in practice, he was a top five player. Like, Rucker won the week, and he is solidified himself in the top five of this, this tight end group. He, at, at his very worst, he's going to be Kyle Rudolph. At his best, he could be like a Delaney Walker type where you can kind of flex him out and use him in all these different ways. He's going to be really good in line. He's going to be a good, solid blocker. I think he's like 6'3 and a half, 255. He's not, a, okay. he's not small, but he's not overly like. But he's not skinny either. either. No. Not a 255, 6'3". Um, no. 
he he's a good good weight. Um, I think that he he's a really really good football player, man, and that's a guy who wherever he ends up is going to do a fantastic job. Offensive line because we love offensive line. Mm-hmm. You have Trevor Penny. Penning. Yes. Do you see him as a tackle or as a guard? He's a tackle. Um, I, I just think he's too big to play on the inside. He's he's a shade under 6'7", like 325. He is nasty. I don't think he's a phenomenal fit for the Minnesota Vikings, but the team that he is an absolute perfect fit for, the Baltimore Ravens, he should be their right tackle of the future. He is nasty. He's going to bury you into the ground. Uh, there are a couple clips that I got at the Senior Bowl. One clip where he got kind of beats the outside, and he just grabbed the edge rusher and just threw him. Well, he happened to throw him, throw him at his own quarterback's legs. Luckily, the quarterback, Desmond Ritter, was not hurt. But there was just this nastiness, this mean streak, going the extra mile to just take you out. Dave, I can see your juices flowing right now. Yes. This is your <laughs> kind of tackle. Dirty, old school I'm gonna beat. You I'm gonna up, beat you. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defeat you on yeah. every single rep. I'm gonna grab Play you and I'm ground gonna pound bully. you into the ground. And it's yes, I love it. Playground bully. That's that's what he is, and he's got it, work to do with tackle. on the field. I'm sure off the field he's an absolute teddy bear, but on well, the field, it, yeah, it. I want a guy that can maul somebody, right? That yes. can take a defensive end. And just ruin his day. That's what I want to tackle. You know, and if he's rush blocking, I want him to bury somebody, whether it be the defensive tackle or the defensive end or going out and uh, reaching a linebacker. That's, you know, blow him up. Just totally dominate. You want linemen that mm-hmm. can do that, have the mentality to do that, that thrive doing that. And it's great. You know, at the end of the day, shake hands, go, hey, what a great day game. You know, you won a few. I won most. Hey, that's what it is. You know, or you gave me a hard time. You know, you can, there's all sorts of things. But that during the play, it's I'm going to drive you into the turf. That's – I want linemen mm-hmm. with that attitude. Yeah. Um, and then we'll kind of move on to our next one because I believe my next tackle was uh, was it was it Daniel Falele from it Minnesota? Was Daniel Falele? Falele is a guy that's probably also not going to be on the Vikings radar. He's six eight and a quarter, three hundred and eighty seven pounds, and he is not a fat three hundred eighty seven pounds. He is thick. He is stout. That man could weigh 500 pounds and would probably still look good on him. He's just a massive individual. He worked hard to trim down to that 387. And when he pulls and he leads the uh, the running back as the lead blocker, uh-huh. it is terrifying. The man can move. Look, he's not going to test phenomenally. He's 6'8", 387. But what he is going to show is he's going to show enough requisite athleticism in order to be able to move without laboring. And I think that's the big thing with Falele. He also has to learn a a little bit better balance. He has to not let guys come right into his chest. He's Mm got to use his length. He has like 36-inch arms. Use them. Get your hands on them. Be aggressive. You don't have to overset 
and then have guys just uh, swim and beat you to the outside. But, you know, don't just let guys come in. Like when you're backpedaling up, stick your hand out and try and try and get in their face. You can do a lot of things by just those little nuanced touches. Mm-hmm. And I think a good offensive line coach is going to be able to fix a lot of that with him. A couple of teams I really like for him, the Baltimore Ravens, obviously, that right tackle spot, you get a mean and nasty guy there. And it Lamar Jackson makes your life easier as a tackle because guys aren't going to be over, like trying to just whip your ass on the outside. They're just not. And then the other team, which is going to be interesting because of Mike McDaniels, addition there, the Miami Dolphins, they just need good offensive linemen. He's going to be available at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an interesting fit. Uh, now, Dave, we're kind of running short on time. So oh, uh, ask your wasting. question. And let's let's, okay. let's try and fire through some of the defensive guys. Um, Ian wanted to know about chances Vikings taking Linderbaum at 12. As much as I've seen and read about Linderbaum, he looks perfect for you know a wide zone offense. However, I don't want to – we've already got a wide zone offense, small, good downfield blocking center. I don't really want to repeat that if we're going to be playing teams with that run a 3-4 or run a bare front and you need beefier a beefier center. That's my opinion. I'll say I don't this, know about though. that with you, though. I'll say this. He is not Garrett Bradbury. He is athletic. He is quick. He can get to the second level, but he has power. He's got aggression. He is able to anchor and beat these big defensive tackles. We're not talking about a guy who's just agile and quick. We're talking about a guy who could have a Quentin Nelson type impact on an offensive line, being that tone setter, being the guy who just makes everybody better around him. I, I really think that Linderbaum could be in play for the Vikings at 12. I don't necessarily think it would be a big mistake. I know uh, Thor Nystrom also had him in his first mock draft that was released the day after the Super Bowl. He had a mock to the Vikings at 12. Uh, this guy beat Tristan Wirfs in high school wrestling for the state title. Like Tristan Wirfs is an athletic freakazoid. In yeah, but do you all, see the Vikings the nice taking terms. him at 12? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not, but I think it would be a good selection if they did. All right. Moving on. Defensive side, edge. We obviously, I should say obviously, I think we obviously need an edge. Um, You have two individuals there. You have Kayvon Thibodeau and Boye Mafa. Yep. So uh, we'll go through Thibodeau really quick. He was the presumed number one overall pick after the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. It was him and Derek Stingley Jr. There have been questions uh, that were reported by ESPN's Todd McShay about how much fire he plays with compared to other top prospects and how his floor is just a little too low for a guy you'd want to take in the top five. The ceiling's sky high. Like, right. it's a shade under Miles Garrett. Like, like, that's the kind of talent this guy is. His uh, pressure rate was like, something absurd, like 24% this past year. Then he had two games where he, where he didn't put up a lot of numbers, but he also played a total of 30 snaps because he got a high ankle sprain week one against Fresno State. Outside of that, he had 48 pressures mm-hmm. over the rest of, over his entire final season. Absurd numbers. Like if he can go and put up freakazoid testing at the combine, 
this this is a guy that that is gonna very well be in that number one pick conversation again like he should. Boye Mafe, Minnesota kid. I've heard a lot of fantastic things about him just as a human being. Um, his parents immigrated here from Nigeria. They thought it was important that he experience his own culture because he spent his entire life living in Minnesota where he went to a Nigerian boarding school for a year. And that story uh, from Daniel Alves, who runs uh, the Substack Gophers Guru, I recommend you check it out if you love if you love Gopher football. And then you just check out that story because it's a tremendous read. Very well written by Daniel. And then the player itself, he's going to test like an athletic freak. We're talking probably testing better than Daniel Hunter. He already has a full registered jump of 40 and a half inches in the vertical. He's going to run about a 4.5740, that broad jump of over 10 feet. And I've heard rumors that he's jumped 43 inches in the vertical since that official registered time at the University of Minnesota. He's going to test like an athletic monster. Daniel Jeremiah is already claiming to be a first-round pick. He's sneaking into the first rounds of mocks. He has a an absurd pressure rate himself. 40 pressures and six sacks on only 300 snaps. Wow. Just redonkulous numbers. Uh, Mafe is a very, very good player who is not utilized as much as he should have been in Minnesota because they like to utilize rotation. Uh, but at the next level, you give him one or two years, he's going to get you a dozen sacks. All right. Both those guys, can they play both the 4-3 and the 3-4? Yes. Mafe's already done it. Uh, Thibodeau can do it. Okay. Sounds good. Off to some big round bellies in the defensive line. You have Logan Hall and Jordan Davis. Two completely different players, Dave. We're going to start with Logan Hall. Massive man. 6'5 and 7'8, but he only weighs 278 pounds. He eat over 400 snaps for the Houston Cougars last year. Only 106 of them were on the outside. He is an interior defensive lineman. Remember my love for Peyton Turner last year? Mm-hmm. Guy who can play inside and out. Also played on that same line with Logan Hall. Hall is a very similar player. Incredibly quick uh, first step on the inside. He uses power very well for somebody who's built like he is. And he knows how to utilize his length. When you combine all those things, yeah, he's a dominant force in the interior. But he also only weighs 278 pounds. How's that going to translate to the National Football League? This is where tweeners can really be a difficult evaluation because you just don't know what he's going to bring to you at the next level because of his size. Uh, I think Logan Hall is probably going to be a top 50 pick, especially if he tests out really, really well at the combine. If he tests incredibly explosive for his size, then you're going to feel a lot more comfortable if he adds 15 to 20 pounds because then you're going to get to a point where you're going to still be really happy with that testing even though he's gaining weight. Right, So that's going to be and something really interesting to keep an eye on. Once they get into the NFL and you start working with trainers and dietitians, they're going to gain the right weight, not just yes. you know round belly stuff eating five buckets of chicken. It's going to be a lot of the correct weight. Now, if he's a tweener between an edge and a defensive tackle, that sounds perfect in a 3-4 defense where you're uh, – Traditionally, back in the days, they called them defensive ends. Today's, they're basically defensive tackles are playing in the five-technique-ish spot. 
mm-hmm. that is perfect for a tweener, especially if he can put up weight and he can if he can get pressures. The whole idea about making that defense work is the one that it stops the run and it stops the option. That's when it was first came out um, and worked so well. For today, it's used to stop the uh, wide zone movements. If he can do that and then on passing downs get pressure, he would be – sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he, very, very good football player. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about Jordan Davis uh, on the complete opposite mm-hmm. end. Jordan Davis is 6'6", 340. He is like Vince Wilford. And when you look at um, the the player and what he brings to the table, he is a dominant player on, on first and second down. Third down is where he struggles. And because third down is where he struggles, he's not the best pass rusher. Um, he is flashed a little bit, but not a lot of it. Uh, mm-hmm. If he can show any kind of versatility with his pass rushing, Jordan Davis should be a top 10 pick. But you just, it's too much of a question mark. And that's why he's uh, pr- uh, currently mocked middle, late first round because the two down versatility, while incredible, how valuable is it versus other guys that you could be taking at that spot who are going to give you more production on third down? Right. And that's that's the biggest debate with him. If he could show anything, literally anything, pass rushing at the combine, you're you're looking at a top 10. To and you're looking play. at his stock going up. Brian, you asked mm-hmm. about more odd or even fronts. I don't know. And Donatel said he's playing both, and he can play both wall and nickel. Um, I think it's going to depend on what sort of offense the Vikings are facing as to which one you get more of. If they are a wide zone offense they're facing, expect more odd fronts. If they're a power team, expect more even fronts is a simple answer. All right. Yeah, pretty much. We're off to uh, linebackers. Leo Chennai, which I don't have, and I do have McCoby Dean. And we've talked about Dean before. How how is the combine going to improve their draft stocks? So Nicobe Dean's an interesting one. Only six foot and 230 pounds, but elite coverage grades and pass rushing grades per pro, pro football focus. And the guy just explodes. Dave absolutely explodes. Um, he he can do literally anything. Um, and one thing that's really intriguing for me with Kobe Dean is even though he's a little small, it doesn't matter. The guy just knows how to get there, and he knows how to take people out, and he knows how to how to win in space. He can cover running backs with ease, uh, and I think with good testing and measurables that are good enough, the guy's easily a first-round caliber player. Okay, Um, how good is he going to be at shedding a 275-pound guard or a 300-pound tackler? He's not phenomenal in the run game. His run game was his weakest spot, only graded out at like the 74.3, but he's, he's also so quick and he does a good job of making sure that def- that offensive linemen don't get their hands on him. He's a little slippery that way. So he kind of makes up for it a little bit, 
but I do worry uh, if he somebody locks onto him how they can shed. Um, Drew, I think 12 is a little rich, but I like where your head's at. Uh-huh. Well, hey, there's always a possibility of trading down. We never know. All right, that's linebacker. Cornerback. Oh, boy, do we need those. You have two mm-hmm. on here. Clear Elam. Where is he? Oh. Kyer Elam. Kyer Elam. Um, so Elam is, is a Florida corner. Um, he he played a little hurt last year, but even when playing hurt, it only allowed 19 catches for 111 yards, two touchdowns. This guy can cover. He's got great recovery speed. He's able to really click and close on the football. Great at the catch point. And there are going to be some questions about his uh, athleticism, and there are going to be some questions about his straight line speed. Um, but I'll tell you, if you run a cover three type system where you're you're just going to have him play off and then he can uh, explode through and really attack the football, I think that's where he can be the most successful. Um, I think a, a move to safety at probably like eight to ten years into his career is probably going to benefit him a lot because I think he's going to lose a little bit of that speed. But he has to cut down on the penalties. If he can do those things, I think he can be a very, very good football player. At one point, he was in contention for cornerback uh, one in this class. He is a very, very good player. And that somebody's going to get a value because he's probably going to go off the board middle of the second round. Okay. And the other one was Roger McCreary. McCreary is an interesting one, Dave. And we kind of you kind of mentioned it at this at guy the is the, of the one show. with the little arms. Yep, he's got the small arms, but he doesn't play like he has small arms, and I think that's the big thing. If you have small arms and you play like you have small arms, that's a massive red flag. But if you have small arms and you don't play like you have small arms, it's something that you can really work with as an NFL franchise to truly develop your talent. And I like what McCreary brings to the table. He's very aggressive, strong at the catch point. Um, really kind of a lockdown guy for the fourth-ranked Auburn defense last year. He's If you're okay with the arm length, and you're okay with what the testing brings you, and I think this is why it's extra important for him, do you have the tools to compensate for your lack of arm length? He shows that. McCreary can sink into the first round. Well, Ed Donatel says he wants man-on-man corners, guys that can play up with the receivers versus mm-hmm. back in zone. Can either of these two cats do that? Yes. Uh, Elam thrives in press coverage, and McCreary's pretty good at it too. Mm-hmm. I would I would be comfortable having them both. And I think press is another element where having those short arms can really hinder you because it, it just like a offensive tackle, uh, having that 34-inch threshold, being able to extend out and really get your hands on the guy early uh, – it's going to be tough for McCreary to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. And I think especially if he goes against taller receivers with a lot longer reach, they're going to come out, put their hand on him, and blow by. Um, yep. All right. That's corners. And we have safety. I've only got one in the image, and that is Jalen Petrie. I don't know how you pronounce Petrie. it. Petrie. Jalen Petrie. Oh. Dave, Jamal Adams is a very interesting uh, player. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are going to really comp Petre to Adams because of the versatility that he brings. Petre is just a chess piece. You can put him in the slot. You can put him in the box. You can put him over the top. You can line him up on the outside and play corner. 
This guy can do a little bit of everything. He's only 5'11 and a half, 208 pounds. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's quick. He's fast. He's aggressive. He knows how to make tackles in open space. And this is somebody that you can just like think of the role that Harrison Smith plays for what the Vikings defense has been the last few years. Hey, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be an annoying little shit. I'm going to run into the box and I'm going to bail out. I'm just going to play this weird joker because Mike Zimmer knows that I I can cover my shit. All right. Petra can kind of do a lot of those same things. And he would be a very exciting player to have in the back end of the secondary safety is becoming more and more important, even though it's still incredibly undervalued by the league. You get a guy like Petrie in there, you could slide him in the slot. You can just, you could do whatever you want, especially with all these hybrid fronts. You can do hybrid coverages with him. You could run um, penny coverages uh, with, uh, yeah, and you could do stuff like three safeties in a corner because you have the versatility with Petre. There's a lot that you can do with him, and I would be a massive proponent of taking him in the second round. Okay. Your other safety was Daxton Hill. Daxton Hill. Okay. Preseason, Daxton Hill was thought of widely as uh, potentially being the best safety in this class with Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton is, the, by a lot of people's opinion, the best player in this class. I've seen Kyle Hamilton go number one in a few mock drafts. Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad pick. It wouldn't be a bad pick. The guy's 6'4 and a half, 215. I know, he's huge for Incredible speed and and instincts. He's huge for safety. He could play outside corner. He could play linebacker. The guy's diverse with his skill set. Daxton Hill is also diverse with his skill set, but he does one thing better than anything. Play center field. He has the speed. He has the instincts. He has the athleticism to be able to do that at a high level. And he, with great testing, he's going to be a top pick. Um, I, he kind of got forgotten because he was a true junior, came out, um, all these things. Didn't really do the all-star circuit. Uh, guys like Petre got the shine. But let me tell you, Daxton Hill is a dude, and he has a chance to go really high. And it all depends how he does this week. Yep. Yep. All right, and we are running out of time, Dave. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm aware. Let's, now, on Combine, how much can it hurt a player or how much can it help a player? It depends. Good performance, uh, bad yeah. performance, whatever. Somebody so, goes in there and they're supposed to run a 4-4 four, four, and they run a 4-6, right? If you tank your testing, that's a massive red flag. You want to at least come close to what you see on film. Now, if you, let's say, remember Chris Johnson ran that 4 2 I don't think anybody thought he was quite that fast. But they thought he was probably high 4-3s, like 4-3-8. Right. And then you go out and run a 4 2 It's like, whoa, okay, this guy is fast. And then we can, we can really see a better projection for him because he beat our expectations. But it also works the inverse, too. If you, I, I think you're going to run a, like a four four five, and then you run a four six five. It's like whoa, we thought this guy won with speed, and now he's not fast at all. And I mean, we're talking the Underwear Olympics. So you, if we thought you were four four on the field, six, like Dave, that's that's a massive red flag. So you can really tank uh, your stock. Biggest thing you want to have your measurables coming good, and you want to have your testing be on par with other players. Well, I've seen that happen with linemen um, where they're expected to be strong and then they get the bench and they wussy out on the bench, right? And 
that drops their stock because they don't have the upper body strength. It's one of the things long jump, uh, broad jump tends to show more lower mm -hmm. body strength. Um, but they'll get up there and they expect them to have upper body strength as well, which they need, especially now and today because you're, you're, you're fighting more. Yes, you need both, but you want both. But I've seen that's on the inverse side where they've done poorly yep. and that's dropped their stock. So mm -hmm. just for fans to watch out for, these are some of the numbers. And, each, and the positions are different as to which set of the numbers you're paying more attention to, right? The speed guys you mm -hmm. want. 40-yard dash. Can this guy run? An offensive lineman, his 40-yard time doesn't mean a whole lot. But his, you know, explosive time, first 10, second 10, or his three-cone drill, stuff like that means more mm -hmm. because you're looking to see how quick a player is, right? Because you don't expect yeah. him to be running full speed for 40 yards. That's not the, as, you know, as a guard, that's not the phone book you're, or phone booth you're playing in. It's not 40 yards long. It's a phone booth, you know, and you might pull every once in a while, so that's five or ten yards. That's what you're looking for. So keep that in mind when each player group goes through, which of those tests are most important if you're building your own draft board, like Drew does, as to how these guys Hey, I have him now here from watching him, his film. Did he do a little bit better athletically than I thought he would? I may bump him up a spot. Or if he did worse, I may bump him down. That's how this works. Yeah. And it's going to be really, really interesting um, to try and parse some of that out. Every position has like thresholds. And when you watch the combine, make sure you try to understand what those thresholds are. Um, I will have a piece dropping for NBC Sports Judge tomorrow as we kind of wrap up um, because it is already 9 o'clock. Uh, talking about the basics, look forward to combine. Uh, some of those um, thresholds, some things to watch out for drill-wise and what matters and what doesn't. So be on the lookout for that. Dave, we talked a lot of really good stuff today. Yeah, and we did get, get, get to the mock again. That's two weeks in a row. But you know what? It, no, it's, it's okay because the content that we're talking about is so important when it comes to mock drafts. And I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to kind of uh, talk this over with, with our, our great viewers um, and just try to give them a better sense of who some of these guys are that they should be on the lookout for this week. Because next week, we're going to be talking a lot of mock drafts. I have a piece dropping tomorrow for the Vikings Wire as well. It's called Mock Draft Roundup. And every week I'm going to take all the heavy hitters and I'm going to post in a long-form article their picks and their breakdowns, and I'm keeping tabs on who, uh, how many times each player has been picked. And at the very end, there's going to be a running tally. So keep an eye out, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of different players. And I think this was a really important to get a broad scope on a lot of players. We talked about almost 20 guys today mm -hmm. and there, there are going to be 256 players drafted. There's going to be more that play in the league. And so I'm going to keep working on finding artwork for, good. creating artwork for some of these guys as we build up to our big draft, uh, live draft extravaganza, three days of live coverage. 
wall to wall. We'll start before, you know, that first bell and we'll end after that last pick. Tyler is going to be a major, major, major part of that. And uh, it should be fun. He's going to be doing that. He's going to be doing our show on one side and NBC Heads on the other. So it's going to be a blast. Also this week, one good thing about the draft, and I alluded to it at the beginning, or the combine, is we're going to start to hear rumors. Rumors about players. Oh, yeah. Moving. So I, he, I break that down too, Dave. It's it's basically a high school cafeteria yep. at the combine. So, like the rumor mill is going to be strong. Deals Judd's have been are, made there. Yep. Judd Zolgad, score North's already got out his first piece of stuff he's getting fed. So, hey, keep a watch out. It's going to be wild and exciting. And, Absolutely. Uh, one of the big deals that was made at the combine, the framework, the Colts trading down from three to six, getting three second-round picks from the New York Jets. So that stuff happens there. So be aware of that. Uh, Fraser, Stingley's not healthy yet. He had the Liz Frank injury. It's still healing. He's going to be there. He's going to do all the medicals. He's going to do all the interviews. He's not going to physically test. So it is disappointing. But you can't blame him. He's just trying to get healthy. It, it just You just kind of got to deal with it. It stinks. Hey, but happens, in the meantime, I want to mess that up. Yep. Dave, I'm going to lead us out of here, but what do we have going on this week? Do we have a full lineup? Yes. As a matter of fact, we do. Surprisingly, I put out the message today. Tomorrow we have uh, in the huddle, Jason and Miles are going to be on. Uh, whether they re- uh, grab somebody else, I don't know, but they're going to be on. Wednesday, we have Vikings happy hour. With special guest, um, oh, slipped my mind. It's from Pioneer Press. Uh, one of the beat writers. Ryan Murphy? No. The other one. Charlie Walters? No. Ah, and I may be wrong. Maybe it's from the Strib. But it's one of those guys. Um, Gessling, Kramer, uh, Gessling. Mark Craig. Oh, kick ass. Gessling Rock. Gessling on Wednesday. Thursday, talk to Eric and Flip. Today, they're going to have a show. So we've got a full lineup Monday through Thursday. Then, of course, on Saturday, you catch me and Darren Campbell as two old bloggers as we'll wrap things up, I'm sure, and uh, see where we go from there. I want to thank everybody who's joined us tonight and watched. We really appreciate the Climbing the Pocket family and you guys growing uh, and talking in the comments. It, It warms our heart, and we hope we provide some sort of benefit to you uh when it comes to growing your viking fandom absolutely and uh joseph i'm gonna wrap it up here smoke monday freaking incredible name i the player is good i don't know how good he is yet probably going to be a mid-round pick somewhere between rounds three and four um i'm excited to kind of take a look at him um corner is going to be my position this year uh it looks like um i'm going to be doing a lot of that for nbc sports edge so I'll keep you guys updated on the more I know about stuff. I will be talking about it here. I will be posting on Twitter. Make sure you follow us at climb underscore the pocket um, at left Krieger and then at the real Forno. All right. In the meantime, for Dave, for Deshaun, who is going to crush a final tomorrow and myself, Tyler, Skull Vikings, enjoy the combine. Boom. Skull Vikings. 
Climb in the Pocket. Thanks you for watching. Remember to like, subscribe, ring the bell, and if you're listening, rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull!